You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, hello. It's nice to be back. I'm John Baxter. I'm an elder here. And it's my privilege to uh, bring God's Word to us this afternoon. Uh, We've been studying the book of Nehemiah together, and sort of the theme of that book I've been presenting is the God who restores. First of all, he was the God who was restoring the wall of the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonian um, Empire had destroyed it in 586 BC and carried away uh, a large number of the people of Jerusalem. And over 100 years later, a group was led back by Nehemiah with the goal of restoring that wall so the people of Jerusalem could feel in a sense of, of God's protection and provision. But we've been arguing all along that more important than just establishing or restoring a wall was that God had to restore the hearts of his people. That was the real defense, was that they would know God and trust God and not trust in just some sort of military uh, advantage with a wall. And part of that restoring the hearts of the people, I want to argue as we come to Nehemiah chapter 8 today, is that meant restoring the law or the, the, the word of God, the Old Testament, the Torah, restoring it into its proper place in the hearts of the people of Israel. And that's what I think we find in Nehemiah chapter 8. You know, I was uh, away for the last three weeks. My wife, Jan, and I are missionaries with Converge. And uh, I spent three weeks in four different cities, um, Malaga, Spain, and then Cairo, Prague, and then back to Madrid, Spain. And we were working in Prague with uh, one of our Converge missionaries, and he uh, gave us a quick tour around the city. And the the city is full of, of just churches, dozens and dozens of, of beautiful old churches. And it's full of statues of saints and other biblical figures. And yet, um, Zach, our missionary there, said uh, the Czech Republic is one of the most agnostic, atheistic countries in the world. So here is all of this religious activity, but in recent years they have really forgotten who God is. So I got on the plane going from Prague back to Madrid, really thinking about that and mulling it over. And providentially, God set me next to another interesting individual. His name was John as well. He's an attorney who works in Wall Street. So he works in the big finance corporations and in the legal sphere. And we just had a wonderful, a rather deep conversation for about three hours as we flew along. And John told me about his spiritual heritage. He grew up in a church. Uh, he had known a lot uh, of people who were involved in the church. His sister, uh, is, actually his cousin, was, was a nun and, uh, in a religious order and deeply involved. But as we were talking, John just related how more and more that had become something of, of the past, of his youth. He still believed somehow there was a God, there was something there. Jesus had something important to say. But when it came down to it, when, when we really began to talk about how we make decisions and, and what part God plays in that, really the foundation of his whole moral life was 
sort of what, what created a positive expression of yourself? Just what made you happy? And he thought we had no, really no basis to, to tell people that they couldn't just simply choose what made them happy. And as I was flying along, I thought, well, this is, this is probably exactly the same thing that happened in the Czech Republic. These people had known about God, perhaps even known God's word at some point, but somehow they forgot it. It became unimportant and drifted away. Interestingly enough, that's the theme that runs through the Old Testament. The people of Israel from time to time forget God's word. So we, we, we see when um, King Josiah comes to the throne, uh, hundreds of years after King David, he's completely ignorant of the word of God. And, and uh, one of the, uh, uh, the priests finds the, one of the books of the Old Testament, we call it the book of Deuteronomy, and brought it to the king. And he was just amazed that this thing existed. And so for the first time for hundreds of years, they they, they, they began to practice some of the things in the Old Testament. And here again, in this chapter of, of the book of Nehemiah, it looks like the people are fairly unaware of what we would consider basic knowledge of the Old Testament. They had, they had forgotten the law. The law was always meant to be a, a joyful expression of their faith, but they had found other things perhaps to trust in, and so it was forgotten. After this period, after the the exile and the return from Babylon, Israel doesn't ever really forget the law again. They begin to to be careful with it and study it, and we we see groups like the Pharisees. But unfortunately, instead of it being a joyful expression of faith, it it became a means to try to earn their acceptance to God. And later they would make what was supposed to be a, a, a relationship of faith into a system of works. And so they misused the law in the other way. But today I want to look at this idea of somehow forgetting, forgetting that, that Scripture, that God's Word is, is essential for Him to restore our hearts. It was essential for the people of God then. It's essential for us today because like the Czech Republic, all of the West, including America, is forgetting the Scripture. That's where we are today. And I, I hope that this morning we can, we can devote ourselves to, to hanging on to, to grasping the Word of God and seeing it as essential and important. Well, let's look at that eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah then. It says actually at the end of the seventh chapter, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, remember Nehemiah's completed the wall. So the Israelites are now beginning to settle all the people came together as in one in the square before the water gate. Remember, that's inside of the city of Jerusalem. They told Ezra. Now, Ezra had been a teacher of the law, a scribe, a prophet. He had returned earlier to the city of Jerusalem, and he's there with Nehemiah. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now, we don't know exactly what book this is. It very well could have been that book of Deuteronomy that Josiah uh, had discovered uh, centuries before. But it's something in, probably in the Torah, the, the, what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of, of the Old Testament. Torah simply means the way, God's path, how God wants us to think about him and, and to respond to him. 
So they brought out one of the books of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. We're told that they actually built like a little platform for him. And so the people were gathered in this square and basically from daybreak until noon, he just simply read from the book of the law. Now, one, one thing I want to see right away is that this is a public reading of the word. And throughout the history of, of, of the Bible, we see that God values the public reading of his word, which we're doing right here today. The apostle Paul will instruct Timothy, his young protege, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. That's one of the affirmations we've made as, as a church this fall, that we want to continue this, this ministry of, the, of the, the public reading and exposition of the Word, the careful exposition of the Word. And I think that one of the reasons it's to be done publicly is because of this doctrine that, that was reaffirmed in the time of the Reformation, around 15, 1600s, uh, the doctrine of what we call the priesthood of the believers, that there's, there's a role for all the believers uh, to be involved in, in the faith, the understanding and the dissemination of the gospel. Now, the key to this is that it's, it's, the doctrine is the priesthood of the believers, not the priesthood of the believer by himself, that somehow solo, on your own, just in, in your own room, you should, you should on your own simply be deciding what, what, what God wants you to know and to believe but that there's a corporate function, that the, the Holy Spirit is residing within the body and there are different gifts and, 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 and uh, opportunities from within the body for us to discover what God is doing. The Apostle John says no one has seen God, this invisible God. But he says if we love one another, God reveals, manifests, reveals himself. So God is revealing himself in this corporate work of the body. So that's why Paul and the Old Testament, they want a public reading of the word so that together we're discussing it. We're learning it together. They're insights and we're protected from, from just simply making decisions on our own. So we, we believe in this function of the priesthood of the believers. This is something that we do together as a church body. And not just simply this church body, but we're connected with churches all across the world and we're connected with the churches that have come before us for 2,000 years. A church historian friend of mine once said, though, the Holy Spirit has a history, that there's, there's a history of us interacting with the Word of God, allowing the Spirit to, to, to shape us and to help us understand what it means. So Ezra is doing it right. This is a public learning, a corporate learning and understanding of the Word of God. I like that. I like that's how it starts. But then it goes on. In verse 7, we're told that there's a careful exposition of the law. And this, now we're talking about the, the cognitive aspect of learning God's word, our head. It says that the Levites, and then he lists them, and I'm not going to read those names. You're more than welcome to read them. They're on there. There are 13 of them, of these Levites. Remember, Levites was the tribe that was given the, the role in Israel of not only caring for the temple, 
but also helping to expound God's word throughout the, the towns and villages of the nation of Israel. And so the Levites, it says, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Now, something important has happened between the time that Moses uh, gave them the, the, the Torah and this reading of, of the books of Moses. The Babylonian captivity had happened. And most of these people now are really fluent. Their heart language is probably Aramaic, not Hebrew. So you remember in Jesus' time that the, the, the people of, of Israel are speaking Aramaic. That's the, the language that Jesus was speaking at home. The scriptures were still in Hebrew. And many of them knew Hebrew, but not all of them. And so the Levites are helping them to understand as, as Ezra is reading in Hebrew, they're describing to the people who perhaps Hebrew isn't their first language, what the text means. Helping them to get an understanding of it. So what we realize is that as cultural distance expands between the, the giving of the law, the writing of the law, and where we are today, the, the more careful we have to be in understanding the word, in expositing, finding out what is the meaning in there, and in a sense exposing it to us. So there's a, a careful exposition of the text. So I think we see from here that there really is a place for people who are trained in, in understanding the scriptures, helping us to cross that cultural distance, not only from different languages, whether it's in Hebrew or Amaric, uh, Aramaic or Greek into our own language of today, but also all those different uh, cultural manifestations and phenomena, how we live in such a different way today. And so we affirm this at One Hope, and we've affirmed it again this fall, that we desire for biblical, but a, a, a quality biblical preaching of the Word of God. You know, this cultural distance became so real to me when we were serving in the Philippines. We were up in the mountains, very rural, poor areas, showing the Jesus film, the Campus Crusade Jesus film. And it was Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the story about the little girl who dies. And Jesus is brought into the home, and as he comes in, there's mourners, and, and people are crying. And standing right next to me is a young Filipino girl, probably about 10 years old, and she's watching this film in her language, Sabuano. And as she's watching it, I'm realizing this is her world. It's very poor up there. We had over 200 cases of cholera the year before. Young kids die up there. It's not infrequent. And she had seen her young friends die, and she had seen the, the, the body laid in a house, and mourners come into the home. And you know what? At that moment, it sort of angered me because I thought, this 10-year-old girl's never been to seminary, and she probably understands this text better than I do right now. <laughs> it just didn't seem fair to me. But as we have a, a cultural distance, we need people who are trained. We need people who have taken the time to study and to help us understand the Word of God. And that's an affirmation that we've made and will continue to make at One Hope Church. But let's go on. So that's the head, making sure we understand what, what God is saying. But there's, there's more. There's a purpose of the law, and that's, that's the changing of the heart. Then it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. 
for all the people who have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They're weeping because they, they realized they hadn't been keeping it. How could they keep it? They didn't know it. And so Nehemiah says, don't, don't do that. Go and enjoy cho uh, choice food and sweet drinks, <laughs> whatever that means. I don't know if it's, that's uh, sweet and lemonade or not, but... Uh, or iced tea, but they're to get sweet drinks and to send some of those, to, uh, send some of those to have uh, people who have nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, "Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve." Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This doesn't mean that there's never a, a time for confession when we're reading the, uh, God's Word. Actually, we're going to see in the very next chapter that the, the people of Israel go into a time of confession, but not this day. Nehemiah wants them just to rejoice in, in the fact that God has come to them. God has revealed himself to them, that, that God loves them and wants to make himself known to them. And the purpose of the law wasn't simply just to convict us of sin, even though that is one of the purposes, but the, the purposes of the law were manifold for the nation of Israel. They, first of all, really, it was to express the character of God. The law of, uh, that Moses gave and all the regulations and, and all the experiences that they had with God throughout the Old Testament was revealing his good, his good character, his loving character, but also his just and righteous character his forgiving character. And so the law reveals to us, it expresses the character of God. The law also helped the people of Israel create an environment for the coming of the Messiah. They alone were this one monotheistic culture surrounded by polytheistic pagan cultures, often cruel, unjust cultures. And so the law created like a, like, like a wall or a barrier to preserve that environment so that when Jesus came, his words would make sense, that there was one God, that he was good, that we had sinned, that there was a sacrifice for sins. All of that arose out of the, of the law, and the people needed to preserve it. But another important purpose for the law, that it was to be a joyful expression of faith. All these different ceremonies, the Sabbaths, the the um, uh, the festivals, the three main festivals of the year, all the instruction about, about how to dress, what to eat, how to plow your fields, what to wear. Every single day, every single week, every single month, it reminded the people that we have a special relationship with God. It wasn't meant to be some sort of burden that was placed upon them, but it was meant to be a joyful expression of their relationship with God. God's called us into this special, special place. We are his people. We are the, the object of his love. And the law was to be a, a joyful and continual reminder of that relationship if, if they approached it through faith. You remember the Apostle Paul will say in, in, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that yes, God gave the people of Israel the law. They had a special place, but they were unable to mix all of that with faith. And somehow they, they, they tried to follow after God as if they could somehow earn their acceptance with him instead of believing that God was the one through Messiah, through Jesus, who would pave the way by his death on the cross to bring them to him, 
to change their hearts, restore their hearts, so that there was a, a joyful chasing after of God. That's what the law was meant to do. It's not meant to ever be a substitute for faith. It's not ever meant to be a way that we somehow earn God's acceptance. But rather we were to embrace it. The Old Testament nation of Israel was to embrace the law as their expression of faith. And so the purpose of the law was to bring them to God, to bring them to faith, and to bring them to a place where they, they loved and enjoyed God. So there was, that, that was the heart. The law was to affect their hearts as well. But then finally, the law was also to, to affect what they did. The law was to be put into action. That's what our hands, our behaviors. So it says in the 13th verse, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, so this is the second day, they met for one day, now they're back on the second day, along with the priests and the Levites gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from the olive and wild olive trees and from the myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, that's the one who followed Moses, until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this and their joy was very great. Is that shocking to you, that last statement? Right after Joshua, the people of Israel had forgotten to do this until this day. They had forgotten to obey, to enact, to behave on the word of God. So this is describing the Feast of Booths. It's one of the three great festivals where, where the people of Israel were to gather in Israel and they were to make for themselves temporary shelters which reminded them that they lived in tents when they left Egypt during their exodus wandering till they came to the land of Israel. It was to remind them of the goodness of God as their redeemer, their savior, their provider, their, their guide, the, the very source of their life. It was to be a joyful reminder, and the people didn't act on it. From the time of Joshua until now, not only they perhaps forgot them, but even if they hadn't forgotten, they just simply neglected to do it. The law was given to be a, a concrete expression of faith. It was, it was given to be acted upon. Because until we, we act on our faith, it just stays abstract. It just stays in our head. It doesn't become something real for us. So real faith is always mixed with actions. It's always mixed with doing what God has asked. Sometimes it didn't probably even make sense to the Israelites. Why, why, why are we... Uh, uh, not working one day out of seven? Why are we not sowing two different kinds of crops? Why are, we, why are we not sowing shirts that are made of two different kinds of, of material? It doesn't necessarily make sense, all of it. But it was a way for them to act with faith upon what God was instructing. And as, as they did that, as we said before, every day, every week, every month, they're reminded that we belong to God. 
So coming every year and building these silly little booths made out of sticks and branches was a deep reminder for them and for their children that, that God is the one who redeems us. God is the one who cares for us and provides for us. To neglect acting on the law is to intentionally disbelieve God. It's just that simple. If we know what God is asking and we simply neglect to do it, we in a sense have said no to God. Faith is always expressed in action. It's simply faith in action. That's all that these works are. They're not a substitute or different from faith. They're just simply how if you trust God, this is the sort of life you will live. And so the law reminds us of that. So remembering the law also means remembering to do what the law asks. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that God's word is essential for the restoration of God's people. Yeah, it'd be useless just to build a wall if the people's hearts weren't restored to God. The wall wasn't going to protect them. God was their protection and their provider. But it's essential for people's hearts to be restored, that they're restored to the word of God, that they value and honor, remember, know, meditate, and act upon the word of God. There's no other way to be restored, to be brought back in a relationship with God if we don't honor God's word. And we at One Hope will honor God's word. We've affirmed that again and again and again, and this fall we've affirmed it. We committed to the whole, as the whole church to, to, to the reading of the scriptures. The scriptures is going to be the basis for all that we do. And the leadership of this church is committed that all of you are, are regular readers and understanders of the Word of God. It's not something you just get by listening to the speaker on Sunday, but it's something that we expect you to be invested in day by day in your family. So we're committed to the, the reading of the Word of God. We're committed to the whole counsel of God. All of Scripture is to be proclaimed. All of Scripture is to be believed upon and trusted and acted upon. Every single bit of it, we are committed to the whole counsel of God. And we're committed to the teaching and preaching ministry of the Word of God. And that's one of the affirmations we made, that we would continue to have quality biblical preaching. But also one of the affirmations we made is that we would want to see that expanded among the, the, the congregation, that not just one preacher but the, the belief that the gifts of God really do reside among the people of God and that God is calling some of you to this position to teach and to preach. It's not to be taken casually or lightly. The Apostle Paul says that there's actually a stricter accountability, that God will hold you to a, a standard if that's his calling. But if God is calling you to do that, that's something th that's worth aspiring to. And Justin and I are going to be creating a class uh, in the next few weeks and over the next few months, for those who'd like to investigate, what does it mean to be a careful expositor of the word, as we saw that the Levites were doing, to be trained to do that well so that we can faithfully, faithfully relate God's word so that we understand it, that it changes our hearts and that it works out on our behavior. 
Those are the affirmations. Those are the promises that we make to you. But you have to decide that the Word of God is essential for the restoration of your heart. And you have to decide to be committed to learning and acting on it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this chapter in Nehemiah that it reminds us of the affirmations that we have made as a church, that the Word of God is essential to us, that we do not want to operate in our own wisdom, but that we rely upon the wisdom of Your Word revealed. Our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in and through the Scriptures through the power of the Spirit. Lord, would You raise up able teachers, preachers within our congregation? Would you help us as fathers and mothers to instruct our children in this regular reading and care for the Word of God? Lord, would you allow the, the, the Word of God to renew our hearts, to change it? And Lord, would you give us the faith to act on it this week? Lord, we commit these things. We are committed to these things as your church, as the people of one hope. And we ask for your strength to do them. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.